Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone, welcome back to Car Chat and with me today I have Paul Stevens of Paul Stevens 911. Hi Paul. Hi Sam. <laughs> Hi everyone. Um, could you just sort of give everyone a little introduction of sort of who you are and what you do? What okay. you do here? Well as you said I'm Paul Stevens and yeah. uh, my business is Paul Stevens, it was named after me. I started it in 1994 so this is our 25th year uh, specialising in Porsche. Mm. How... So you sell all sorts of cars, well, Porsches of various sorts. But how did you how did you get into it? How did you? Presumably, it was quite a long journey getting to where we are now. Yeah, I mean, I worked for somebody else in a family business up mm-hmm. until that time. One of the directors died suddenly, and it was a bit of a game changer. So, although I thought I was possibly there for, for a longer period of time, it it felt like the right time to move on, and I'd. You know, to, to start my own thing. So uh, yeah. I started with a mobile phone, an overdraft, yeah. and uh, on the family farm and some cars outside, and that was pretty much how it started. So and then trading, buying, buying and selling initially, just buying and selling. Got into racing them. Only the little nine two fours. I won the yeah. nine two four championship in ninety five. Oh, good times. So yeah, that was good fun. Basic little car, and then um, also. Got into racing bigger things. Well, I say bigger things. Started with Caterhams. I was a runner-up yeah. in a Caterham Championship in '96. Then we got into British GT with Marcos and the, oh. uh, the GT3 and Porsche as well. And then into production Porsche, yeah. the classic series. So always sort of club level, I would say, and not not, not professional, but just always enjoyed always it. Always been a keen, yeah, passion. yeah, just enjoyed it really. Wouldn't wouldn't call it professional level, but we developed the business in the background along the way. Put up a. a a bit purpose-built building there, had a bit more of a showroom there. Mm. But as we developed further, that, that wasn't appropriate either. And I had my vision of auto art, which was 
That really came from... Uh, I, I, we'd had some bespoke 911s from other manufacturers in, <coughs> or say creators. And I, years ago, I had a roof SCR, which yeah. was based on the old SC, not... not was, that a, was the SCR a turbocharged? No, it's normally oh, aspirated. It's normally but it, what it taught me was that you can take a fairly uh, stock car and put some ingredients on it, just put a bit of spice mm. into it, and suddenly the whole thing's transformed. And so it was a short-stroke 3.2, which they didn't have at the time. Yeah. Revised five-speed gearbox, limited slip diff, different brakes. You know, nothing drastic, but just a few things that just made it a, a, a totally different car. So that sat with me, of course. And if you went further back than that, my, my first 100 miles an hour... I, I achieved was behind the wheel of a 911 when I was nine. Nine? <laughs> yeah, I actually learned to drive when I was six on the family farm, but this was on an airfield. So these sort of experiences stayed with me to... Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, nine? That's, that's small. <laughs> yeah, it was. You're looking more through the steering wheel. But I mean, it was a straight line, so it was yeah. a pretty safe yeah, thing yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. But, so I actually had my first 911 when I was 21. I'd set myself a goal to, to do this. Mm. How what was that? It was a little 911E, and I've still got one today. Not the same car. I did try and buy the same car back, but I found out it had been written off. So I got the nearest thing I could to yeah. it. So I just say it's similar. Very, similar very similar. Spec, it's, yeah. the, it's the same spec yeah. and the same colour and everything. But to get there, I had to work my way up. So it was, well, I was still at school, then I was at college. So I was buying and selling cars in the background. So I'd take them back, yeah. buy minis to start with, and then uh, do, do them up, sell them. And we got into MGs. Then onto TR6s and just sort of built Slowly myself up to my up, first yeah. 911 that way by buying buy and selling, doing them up. And um, at this point in time, was it just was it just you um, in in the oh, business? Well, this was just, or this, you well that wasn't even in the business. That was I was, was working somebody else, and this was just something I did in the evenings. So yeah. this was in the in the eighties, really, in the early nineties. Mm. So or late eighties, in fact, for this. So then I, um, yeah, this first 911 arrived. And it, I knew it probably wasn't the best one. Yeah. I just didn't realise quite how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> and it was rusty where they rot and it was smoked and, you know, had mechanical woes. And so, yeah, we had to do something with it. So that was a bit of a life lesson as well. And I think I'd be uh, probably a bit ashamed of the work we did today. <laughs> we've <laughs> got to start somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we just had to work it out. Had, had, you know, we'd got this rotten Porsche with a knackered engine. So... That was it. So what did you do with it? Did you strip it right back? Yeah, yeah, I had to. Uh, so that was quite, yeah. And it taught me, I mean, the, the, the engineering, even though it was a horrible example, yeah. the engineering was much better than the British cars. I couldn't do the engine on my own. I yeah. brought in some help for that. Got it to a basic state and then did some, it was my road car, did a few rounds of the Prelli series in 87 with it. Okay. So yeah. you could literally, in those days, you could turn up with your road car, on your road tyres, with your road seats. You didn't even need a roll cage if you didn't yeah. want one. And drive. So, That's amazing. Do you have, like, harnesses and stuff, or is it just no, normal seatbelt? No, normal seatbelt. <laughs> you didn't even then, you didn't even need to have it. I mean, clearly it was recommended. Yeah. But I couldn't afford it. So, no, I was just there. That's I mean, amazing. And my only claim to fame was that I spun it at every circuit I went to, trying <laughs> to keep up with everybody else. <laughs> just, yeah, it was just really frustrating time. So, Were you racing against similar cars? Yeah, it was a Prelly um, series at the time, so I think it was Class uh, C. It was, I mean, we were nowhere, don't worry. Yeah. It was back of the grid stuff. It was, yeah, I'd raced some other things in, in 
local club motorsport and been quite successful. So it was, you know, you're just trying to work it all out. Yeah. It's a bit frustrating, really. But so, yeah, sold that actually to buy my first flat, which was a... Yeah. And then got the... Got my... Worked my way up to the SCR and that got sold to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Um, but, yeah, by, by 94, we was off and away doing, doing our own thing anyway, so... Mm. So I'd had some reproduction cars of other companies, as I said, and some lightweight cars. And uh, so I started to think about this, what could we do as a company, you know, what, what can we do? And I kept looking at the 964 yeah. as a relatively modern platform. I mean, this was about 2002, so the car was 10 years old then. And it was the unloved 911, it was the 996 of the 90s, yeah. you know, who, who, who wanted one of those, you know, um, and they were really cheap to buy. But I couldn't see, but a, quite a modern platform then, uh, ABS, power steering, you could have it four-wheel drive, you could have it Tiptronic, all quite modern stuff. Yeah. But nobody liked it. So what, what would it be like if you put a classic style on it? And that was more complicated than I first thought. But I have some family friends called the Walklets, and they are the founders of Janetta, and they helped me bring the, the, the first cars about, actually, because they basically because they made cars from scratch. Yeah. They looked at it totally differently, and they were able to help me develop our first cars, <clears throat> which we launched our uh, retro series in uh, 2005 at Brands Hatch at the mm. Porsche Club event. Uh, we quickly followed that with a classic series. So we had a classic lightweight, a retro lightweight, yeah. 300R, and uh, developed on from there. What were some of the initial like nightmare things you came across or problems, difficult problems to solve on, let's say, the 964? It was, well, early panels don't fit the car. That's the first thing. Yeah. So the idea of bolting on an early bonnet, that wasn't going to work. I know now people have gone about it a different way and put early slam panels in, things like that. But my whole thing from the start was to try and retain the structure of the 964 yeah. and the integrity of the 964, the drivability... So the floor pan's physically deeper. The whole car's different. So, yeah. But it still had to drive like a proper car. That was always in the back of my mind. If you, you know, putting on just a standard S spoiler, you left with this big gap at the bottom and it just yeah. looked awful and it wouldn't work. So right from the outset, we had to design it so that it integrated into the floor pan of the car, worked with the aero um, and drove like a proper car. So that was important. So that was probably the... Biggest headache, getting wheels. Fuchs didn't make wheels. Nobody made wheels for them at the time that resembled a Fuchs wheel. So I went to an English company and they came up with a design for me, which wasn't ideal, if I'm honest. It was a three-piece billet wheel and it looked Fuchs-inspired, but if you see them, they're pretty woeful today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it got us us there. And then you find out the glass is a different size and things like that. So when you're trying to put the bright work in, you say, oh, well, you know, that all fits in an SC, for example. We'll just pop that in a 964 and it doesn't fit. doesn't fit. All the, just those sort of things, really. Getting an exhaust system that works and then making sure it exited on the left-hand side rather than the right-hand side where the 964 exhaust exits. All just things like that. So, yeah, bit of bit of pain. Serious headache. Sort of over about three years. So, although, I, like I said, I got the donor car in 2002 for the first one and, and then we did a Targa alongside it actually a four wheel drive Targa and we it took us three years to, to really bring it to market hmm. nice it's, it's 
It was funny because we were earlier walking around your showroom and you we were having a look at the 964 and you were pointing out all of these little things. Like, you look at it and you go like, yeah, looks pretty good. Like, blah, 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 blah. And then you're talking about, yeah, like the front bumper, how on lots of them, they literally just, the bumper stops and you can see what's <laughs> the 964 underneath and all of these little bits. And you suddenly get an idea of, oh, actually, this is, this is quite a lot of work going into making it, it look like this. It was more than perhaps I initially envisaged, but, you know, there's, there's, you'll see different conversions now and some people do put the early bumpers on and you'll see they look quite short, shall yeah. we say, high, in, disproportioned. But it was important that it was balanced. So the same with the rear bumper, we had to do the same there. And so they look identical at the top, but they're, they're much deeper in there. Yeah. But they, 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 you know, that makes it more cohesive with the base of the car. So you did the, the 964? And we, we quickly, to be honest, we had an SC in the background as well, mm. which was gold with brown, yeah. and you couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted it. I mean, gold yeah. with brown interior now, brown pasha, that'd be really cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> but today, I mean, we just couldn't sell it. Yeah, so surprised. we turned that into what we called our 240C, which was pretty much had a classic RS-inspired look about it. Yeah. But with the 3-litre engine instead of the 2.7, uh, it just meant, I mean, it had similar performance to a 2.7 RS, but, you know, when you backdate a, a later yeah. car, it's always going to feel a bit bit more on its toes. And that, that was the 240C. So, And then that morphed into the... Um, Club Sport in 2007, we sort of moved on from there and into the Club Sport series, which we then changed into Series 2 in 2017 when it was 10 years old, developed it again, and that's a version of what you've been playing yeah. about with today. We've, uh, we've, I've had an extensive look around these cars with you showing me around today, and version 1 of the Club Sport versus version 2, Did there, is, this, is there a significant amount of change? between those two cars yeah. there's a lot of development and um, work in between I mean Series 1 was really very much about a car that you could you know because I used to race them I knew what a great car or a well set up early 911 was and yeah. you know you could take it to the circuit and it'd be as a production racer this was it would still be a quick car yeah. so if we could make a road legal version of it and then give it a bit of the, the earlier style and everything it'd be a great little car so we did that and it was probably, you know, it was quite raw because it, it had uh, a very simple lightweight carpet set, but it had legs and windows and it was just light and quick yeah. and, you know, and it was successful for what it was. But people slowly sort of took the legs and windows out and put glass in, they wanted it quieter mm. and just more civilised. And so we thought we need to revisit the concept around 2016. So we did and uh, launched in 2017 Series 2 which was a more rounded product and a, and a, a development of and based on a later car. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's looking around the, from the outside, it, it just looks sort of like an old 911 of sorts. And then as soon as you get closer, we're just looking at all, Paul's showing me all of these different things. Like there's just the tiny details everywhere. And you're like, oh yeah. And then we change that. And then we change that. And then we change that. And there must God knows the number of changes over a standard car and the process and the number of hours, but it's just all of these little bits. And then like you were saying about the dash, like in, in my car, I've got a, like an older dash in it, but I didn't realize the fit and finish of what that would look like. Or it's, an, it's amazing having a showroom full of some of the old cars. You've got an SC and the 964 mm. and stuff. And you point out some of the things on, on your car where you've made an entirely new dash just 
so that it fits a lot better. And then we can walk across the showroom and see the older car and you suddenly go, oh yeah, okay, this is significantly different. Whereas I think a lot of people might look at the car to start with and you don't notice any of the stuff, which talking to you seems like that's that's part of your vision for the car mm. is it's a bit of a sort of cue car, like understated. Yeah. If you don't know, most people wouldn't know. But yeah. then if you're a bit more nerdy about it, you start to notice all of these. Yeah. I think, yes, that's right, Sam. And, uh, but the, where the, the concept of the car comes from, I mean, Porsche makes some great cars, some really mm. quick GT cars, very capable cars, as we all know, and they're brilliant. But on the road, they're almost a bit, it's a bit too much going on. You yeah. know, you can't access it. So I wanted to develop something from the air-cooled era that was clearly a step on from the, the, the standard car. Um, but if you're going to, it needed to appeal to the person that might step out of that modern GT car and, you know, have his first taste of classic 911s. And if you're used to modern levels of fit and finish, you know, they can be a bit indifferent when you get in there. So that's why we've developed all our own interior panel system. So visually you're still sat in the same car at a glance, but then the more you look, the more you realise you're not. Nothing's the same. It's all been remanufactured. And that, I think that's sometimes the hardest thing to get across, particularly in photography or, if, you know, when, when we launched the Le Mans Classic Edition, you know, I think some people couldn't see quite what was involved. Yeah. And, and part of that is deliberate, but, of course, it uh, yeah, <laughs> gives us a bit of a headache sometimes when you're trying to justify how many hours you put into the car. Um, and putting in, you know, we, we, we have a range of engines to go in those cars from uh, the standard 3.2, although we've never done one of those, to be fair, 3.4 up to um, 4 litre. What do most people... Because you're making 10 of those cars. Of the Le Mans Classic Le Mans edition, Classic, yeah. yeah. So that's based on our Club Sport model. It's a special edition. Yeah. So the Club Sport is a model. And then we're doing a Le Mans Classic edition with um, Peter also and ACO as a licensed product. Mm. And Yeah, there's just 10 of those. They're, they're predominantly all going to be similar, the same powertrain. Uh, you've tried one today. It doesn't have the same powertrain. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they should all be 3.4 litre. Is that what, and that's what most most people go for the three point four. If, if it's a yeah, a I mean, what, what I find is people when you talk to them, they always say, "I must have a big engine. I yeah. must have loads of power. Must have, must have, must have." And you know, if you take a well sorted three eight, you can take it up to sort of three forty, three fifty horsepower. Yeah. Um, but actually, when you're talking about a thousand kilogram car or a bit less, sometimes that's the power to weight ratio is you know, pretty yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, pretty punchy. And then the torque and, and actually, it's, you know, it, yeah, there's a, there's a market for that. But the sweet spot, I think, is around the 300 brake horsepower. So you've got 1,000 kilograms and 300 brake horsepower. Yeah. That is the sweet spot, I find, for, the, for that type of chassis. I, mean, I used to race Caterham's years ago and the, the, the same thing was, was with there, with the Superlight R, 200 horsepower. That was it. Yeah. That was the best one. Any more than that. I found exactly the same thing, whether it's, yeah, driving a Caterham, I drove there. They have a 310R at the moment, yeah. which is 150 horsepower, I guess. Mm. And that, in I drove it in the wet mm. on like a British B road. It was a bit muddy. And that was well enough amount of power. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want any more than that. No. But you can get the 620R, which yeah. is double the amount of horsepower. It's too, it's too much, really. You it's just crazy. If you can't get the power down, what is the point? Yeah. I think that's it. In any car... And I, you know, I've driven a lot of Caterhams, done quite a bit of racing in them as well, and a lot of testing. 
and, and other lightweight cars as well, Ginettas, Chevrons, Lotus and things. And that less is more things has sat with me and that is our mm. that is our thing really. Get the car as light as physically possible and then start to add back in. And start with your what you need in the car and then bring the power in. the power's the last thing almost. Yeah. What would you say in order of priority of things when you're thinking about making a car? Like let's say a classic an old nine eleven. how do you rank all of the things? Weight. Get the weight, weight number get, one. Get rid of the weight. I mean, it has to be. You can you can clearly make it lighter still, but the lighter you make it, the less thing you're know, throwing things out the window, yeah. aren't you? So, and we're talking. And our little um, our Mark one was was pretty light, but it was very crude yeah. and basic. You know, there's nothing in it. So there's a balance between weight and usability, isn't there? But ideally, as much weight as you can. That's the first thing, because then you've got this light platform. Well, then you don't. You know, people. The first thing people tend to do is stick big brakes on them, massive brakes. Let's yeah. stick some turbo brakes on. Well, they're heavy. They add weight. They weight to the corners, makes the steering heavier. So then you need bigger wheels and the whole thing's heavier again. Yeah. Well, then you need more power, don't you? And then things just feel lumpy. So why not work to the weight of the car? And if you think about it logically, even standard brakes are good enough because you've just taken off 200 kilograms. Yeah. Why, why do you need bigger brakes? Yeah. You've reduced the weight of the car and you've only got to go back to that Lotus, Caterham, Chevron, any any small car manufacturer mentality, you don't see massive dinner plates on those, do you? Everything is minimalised, then you put the power in. Yeah. So that's all I've ever done with our lightweight 911s is, and, and all of our cars, actually. It's just trying to keep the whole recipe simple. So if you put big arches on, you've got to have big wheels, you've got to have, It's weight. It doesn't make it the doesn't nimble, it agile car. No. And I think, you know, today you might have experienced you can get quite a lot of grip out of a narrow shell car. Yeah. With 300 horsepower and some torque. And the sort of, I think, the the right amount. Like, it's very easy to get sucked into bigger wheels and then bigger tyres, more grip, and all of this stuff. And then you drive it down the road where you've got a 60-mile-an-hour limit and you can't see around all the corners, so you can't drive faster around a corner and it just sticks until it doesn't, and then that's a very sharp... Mm bit and actually with let's say like your car's got 300 horsepower and relatively lightweight small nimble car you can feel the tires working mm. without going crazily fast without pushing crazily hard and you have to i think you sort of have to experience that or it's probably quite difficult for most people nowadays to sort of understand that mindset yeah because more is more, obviously, apparently. Yeah, you've just got to big everything, haven't you? Especially yeah. when you go to America, everything's bigger. So it is a it is a very British mindset, I think, and, a, and you know. But if you can keep, you know, it makes the car more agile, nimble, as you said, narrow shell, keeps it very compact on the road. Yeah. Steering's lighter, what, you know, big wheels. You don't, you don't need power steering if you've got small, small, relatively yeah. small pr- footprint. So then you get better steering feel. Don't need massive brakes. You know, it's it's going to pull the pull the speed down. Yeah, it's funny. You go to a track day and you get all these modern, heavy stuff that has massive brakes that are completely fried after three laps. Mm. Or you you watch someone with a Lotus or something like that, and then just go a catering, got tiny brakes, nothing weighs anything, and they go out and pound around. All day with minimal tire wear, minimal tire wear, minimal costs, minimal yeah. all of these things. It's, it's a relative, and 
bizarrely, I mean, it, you'd be amazed what it does to fuel economy. I mean, that, yeah. that, 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 the club sports, you know, they obviously run a modern injection system. That, that, I mean, we, we de-seam them, you know, we make them quite relatively streamlined. They, they're, they're economical, bizarrely. Yeah. What sort of what sort of MPG would you get on like a long run? Well, I, I, that one you're in today, I was driving that back the other night. It's, it's doing thirties, yeah, early thirties. Well, I think you know, just it's, there's nothing to it. You know, it's just ambling along. So, okay, it's not modern hatchback mini hatchback economy, but no, but thirties is good. Yeah, I think it's for a car like that. I think it's good for any car nowadays because we you have, know. you know, like my S4 is a turbocharged. Six cylinder, and yeah, that might get. I think I got 35 on the way here, mm. and they claim that that's like super economical and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, well, if this old car with a petrol, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's I think it's acceptable for the type of car, yeah, to, to get 30, early 30s, 32, whatever it was. I think that's I think personally, yeah, I think that's pretty I good, thought it was. but that's not really why you buy it, but it's just no. probably an added bonus. But obviously, if you add weight and add some turbos and add whatever else you need to make that weight go, then it's all gone, isn't it? You build these, the club sport, mm-hmm. and then you have the classic touring? Yeah. Which is a bit different. Yeah, classic touring is very different, actually. Um, that's another car where you really have to um, go, go in, drill into it um, to, to understand what's going on. And it looks deliberately like an original old car you have to now go looking to see what's not quite original. And that's, that is deliberate. So, um, and I said to you earlier, I liken it to having a handmade pair of English brogues. You can go and buy a pair off the shelf and you can wear them and they're perfectly okay. And then you can go to you know manufacturer and have your own shoes made. They're beautifully made. And one or two people will notice that. You'll know you've got your handmade English brogues. And so it's really those that know know and those that don't know don't need to know so the nice thing about having uh, the classic touring is you could pull up somewhere in it and to the uninitiated you're driving around in this standard classic Porsche there's nothing about it that tells you it's any different unless you know and then when you start going into the detail every every part of it's been reconsidered gently so we now have all again all the interior panels are our own panels they're not original so if you're used to modern fit and finish of a modern car then you'll be at home in there um if you want modern seating comfort you'll be at home in there if you want modern connectivity you'll be at home in there if you want modern levels of starting and stopping and you know just drivability you'll be at home in there yeah but when you put your foot down turn the taps on or whatever it feels like an old car still it's still got that raw old car feel about it which you you know you've got with yours so it's it's quite a interesting car and it's not for the person who wants to say look at my sports car look look what i've got you know what i've paid for it because you know what it is it's not that car it's completely the opposite yeah it's it's, completely the opposite it's exactly that thing of the guy that debudges his rs6 i mean it's, it's a different concept but you know it's the same sort of thing it's like if you know you know and for those that love the details and stuff like that once mm. you start looking you start looking around and you're like oh they did this and then oh they did and then yeah. and then you press this button and there's the bonnet's got an electric latch on it and just pops yeah, well, open you know in the old cars you'd have to lean across the yeah. other side to open the bonnet well that just seems if you're used to a modern car you just want to just open the bonnet <laughs> don't you it's just so it's little things like that 
and having 100 horsepower more than the original 911S, mm. you know, it's, it's got torque and it's, it's just easier to drive, but when you want to crack on, it's quite deceptive. It's a bit Jekyll and Hyde, the experience, really. <laughs> it can be really quite docile and unassuming. And then, I mean, quick, you know, sort of, I don't know what the exact 06 is. We've never done it, but, I mean, you, you can think of a low five. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quick. You know, like, it's it's two hundred and the, the three point four is two hundred and ninety horsepower, and a two seven RS was two hundred and ten. Yeah, so, with more torque. So, and you drive a car with that amount of speed and that weight, or that that power and that weight down small roads, it feels sort of right. And I've driven really fast stuff, and I've mm. driven really slow stuff, but I never get out of like my back date, which is pretty. It's a similar sort of performance. Yeah, and think that's that's slow all you then i think is it translates into you can rev it out yeah you can enjoy putting your foot down exactly for five seconds rather Mm. than if you've got a 720s or whatever and you put your foot down for five seconds you're doing 130 miles an hour (laughs) something ridiculous i think that's it and and i mean the car it, it you know we fit a limited slip diff in the back and we deliberately run it on six inch wheels all the way around it's got more modern braking um, but you, we run it on a 16-inch wheel so we can run a more modern tyre than the period car. And suddenly you've got enough grip, yeah. bizarrely. You, you, you have got enough grip and you'll be doing quite well to unstick it, you know. But when you do it, it's very progressive. Yeah, I was about to say, if, if, you're, if you had to distill down the handling characteristics of a good old 911, whether it's been tweaked or not, do you have a, like a particular way you think it should drive? It's an interesting one because a good circuit car is not a good road car. That's, so, that's yeah, okay, that's good. So we predominantly make road cars. Yeah. Um, now, on club sports, it's all adjustable, so you can go to the circuit and tweak it up and yeah. whatever. But a good road car should be pretty compliant, in my opinion. So because you've got different road surfaces to deal with, I mean, smaller wheels for me is a big thing because if you drive a modern car. Again, you know, you find cambers, you find holes, you, you know, it's all a bit dragging mm. you into the gutter a bit sometimes, isn't it? And if you've got this nimble, light, compliant car, it actually just glides over the bumps and it's just, you know, and there's a little bit of drift and you, you're with it. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. For me personally, that's a good road car and that place it, it all it does is, that. It is unbelievable how many modern cars you get into, like my GT3 RS or more modern stuff, and... They just, like, hunt all the camber. You go down a country lane, and I remember when I first got my RS, and I think I had an Audi S3 or something at the same time, and I could go down a country lane significantly faster, probably, in the Audi, because it just absorbed everything. Mm. Whereas all these modern cars just hunt everything. And I remember when I first drove my back date, went down a small little road that had loads of little bumps and whatever, and you just pointed down the road, put your foot down. Yeah. And it just, you went in a straight line from one end to the other, and you're suddenly like, hang on a minute, this, this is way better. Why, yeah. why have people stopped making cars like this? Well, that, this is it, really. And so that's my thing. I'm really starting to focus on the driving experience of an older car, but just more reliable and better built and, you know, just tighter fit and finish. And yeah. The sort of things you expect in your modern car applied to a classic car mm. that's that's really our our dna of, of what we're doing with, with auto art you know i mean it's our 15th year next year with auto art mm. you know it's been a journey and we've learned a lot 
along the way and had different models and so yes yeah, it's, it's that's our, that's our next sort of thing. have you had some weird requests from people of things to do to carts or slightly unusual we've had several and some I've declined to build because I just don't think they fit in with our brand right. ethos so we get and usually from abroad if I'm honest Asian market yeah. or America where they've seen what we do and they just say can you do this can you do you know make this big brash thing and it, rightly or wrongly I won't do it yeah because I enough. just don't think it fits in with who we are and yeah. what we're about you know that's always been important to me that our products are you know well built and you know just to make it clear our earlier cars were nowhere near as well built as the, as the cars we produce today mm. you know that they're, they're pretty woeful compared to what we do. <laughs> so, that's you part know, of the journey isn't it yeah you know we, we've learned a lot and it's I, I think you know everybody's involved in this game learns every time you know they build something so it's been an ongoing development over 15 years of keep refining the process mm. shall we say but i just won't things i won't do is sell our parts to put on cars somewhere around the world okay. yeah which we've been asked to do quite a lot can you just sell, sell me the parts no yeah so and and building really random spec cars that just don't fit in with what we do, no. Fair enough. What's the the sort of the classic owners? How do they feel about your cars? I think um, pure purists yeah. would turn their nose up at it. I mean, what was interesting was we we went to uh, the London Classic Car Show and we had a car there. Mm. And there was somebody from the Porsche Club came up and, you know, historically sort of poo-pooed of some of this stuff because they have a classic event down the road. Yeah. And said, that's beautiful, Paul. We must have that at our next show. So I have had to turn around. You can't have that. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's another one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it was so, you know, it was, it was a classic touring. So yeah. it, at a glance, thought it was a real... <laughs> they're a real Porsche they're all real Porsches aren't they but he thought he was looking at an original restored car <laughs> and he wasn't so that probably tells you how close it got yeah. to, or how close we got to what they should look like for, for our classic touring anyway yeah it's, it's I always find it funny when you sometimes meet people and most reactions I get let's say to, to my back day is most people they like it and they want to know more about it and then you get the odd people that's just some sort of weird nerd and they want to tell you everything about your car in like weird ways. And that's, I find that really odd. Like just generally, but that's just nerdy car people get to a certain level where they just almost, they just want to tell you how much they know about your car or not specifically point out things that are mm. wrong about your car. And like, yeah, but so what? Like, I don't yeah. You, you definitely get that, um, with Porsche people. You definitely do. And, uh, it's also quite amusing sometimes, you know, again, going back to car shows, when you somebody comes up and they'll, they'll be telling their friend what they think it is. <laughs> That's quite amusing sometimes. <laughs> Just to listen in on that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done a bit of racing, or you've done quite a lot of racing, actually, and you are quite... Well, you've been racing in the two-litre series... Yeah, I've done a little bit of that and a little bit of 60s endurance. Again, it's only for fun. Yeah. We're not professionals or anything like that. I just enjoy it. Yeah. And so we're not out to, you know, it's it's quite a significant commitment to, to, 
to try and go out and win a championship, both financially and time-wise, because in the Peach Auto Series, all, all of those rounds are abroad. Mm. And really, you're, you're a week out of the business, and then you, the, the testing, and then the development, and then, you know, it, at the front of the grid, it's pretty uh, competitive, both with the cars and the drivers. So there's professional drivers competing in, in the championship. Yeah you know, some touring car drivers as well to support them just to make sure you know, it all happens. <laughs> and so it's pretty, it's pretty tight-knit at the front, as, as it can be in a one-mate championship. But, no, we go and do that. And, and the 60s Endurance Series is, is another grid within the um, Peter Auto Series. Yeah. And that allows you to go and do longer events, endurance events, Le Mans Classic, that, that sort of thing. And that's, that's also quite enjoyable because it's a different strategy, you know, and, and you're, you're racing with the lands and some other lightweight cars which are clearly quicker yeah but attrition comes into it a little bit sometimes and so it's a bit of a tortoise tortoise and hair type thing, yeah you know so it's, it's a different 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 way of racing but no yeah we do enjoy it and the short wheelbase cars i mean just really really good fun to drive everything we've discussed about lightweight cars and nimble handling and yeah if you can drive a, you know if you drive sensibly or know you can drive they're just Great. They look, when I see them hooning around at like Ricard or Spa or wherever I've been at all these Peter Otto events, they look like there's a certain level of sideways that has just got to be fun. And you see modern stuff just stick, mm. and which is, you know, one thing. And they're on the limit, but like we're talking one or two degrees of slip rather than 10, 15. Oh, you, there's a definite adjustment with these cars on on the throttle and the fact that they are short wheelbase and the fact that the engine is a little bit further out the back enhances that so you can you know you can be attacking a corner pretty quickly and just to get the car to adjust to through the corner you just lift slightly and the whole rear starts to move <laughs> and then you go back into it again and uh yeah beautiful steering braking's you know i mean again not much weight yeah. Not much power either, but not much weight. So it's, it's keeping the momentum what's going. Of, what sort of horsepower are those, are those cars? Well, it depends, uh, depends whose engine you've got. <laughs> they will range on the grid from something like 160 up to 215, I've heard mentioned. Oh, 215. I mean, yeah. that's quite a big I, I mean, difference. I, I, I find that quite, yeah, uh, may, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But yeah. certainly there's a few out there with 200 plus at the, at the sharp end. Um, uh, how, I mean, how do you, I don't know, I don't think I know enough about engines really, but to, to get that gap between, let's say, your 160 horsepower engine and your 200 horsepower engine, when fundamentally they're meant to be the same-ish, question mark, how do you bridge that gap? <laughs> well, I, let's assume they're all legal for a minute. It is development, it is meticulous preparation, and it is just working within the regulations and just finding out how far you can push each element of the yeah. car all the way through and still remain legal. That would be your optimum. And some... <laughs> and some leeway of things yeah, that yeah, may, may get checked, may, may not get may, checked. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, clearly it's a, it's a series that's developed very quickly. And they're, they're, this year, we'll say 220, they're um, looking to try and rein it back a bit. There's been... Because yeah. the 911 responds very well to um, exhaust development. Right. So there's been a lot of that, and it's been pretty open, and so there's been a lot of money thrown at that, still in the head development, pistons, yeah. all, all those sort of things. People have been really 
pushing, pushing crank coast development. So they've tried to bring that back again for, for next year by standardising the exhaust system across the board, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think because it's that series to me, when I see it, it looks like it's meant to be a. I'm not going to use the phrase entry because that's not. It's, it's in no way in terms of pricing no, an entry no. series, but the cars are relatively slow in comparison to a lot of stuff yeah. that competes then and relatively simple. Mm. So you probably want to keep, you want to keep the costs down. You don't want to go like, okay, someone's spending some crazy amount of money a year and you just can't catch them because that's impossible. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, I, for me, uh, anyone make championship, not just this one to have all your engines exactly the same and yeah, and your cars exactly so you're, they're all weighed religiously, they're all power tested religiously, everything's checked religiously, closes it up. So you don't, I mean, you're going to have different talent in the drivers, that's 100%. a given, you know, and there's some quick drivers out there, very good drivers, but they don't need a quicker car as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're already um, so, three seconds a lap yeah, faster. Yeah, why do they need a quicker car? So for me, and it, it brings preparation costs down you know they're starting to talk about it in formula one as well but bringing preparation costs because you know if you start and and i wager that some are doing this precautionary re- rebuilds after every race mm. really you want how much is a rebuild on an engine it's not it's more the time i think yeah. sam uh, and what i mean obviously if they've not done anything with it there's just a precautionary check yeah. down rebuild you know it's a few thousand pound ago isn't yeah, it yeah. You know, just when if you just had a bit less horsepower and if you sealed them and said you can't rebuild that for six races unless you have a blow up, yeah, they would do it. The the, the cars would last. Yeah, and you they, just they'd can't do, they'd push do, them they'd quite They'd do much. a season. So you you might say right, well you're sealed for the season unless you have a problem, mm. and then we have to revisit it or whatever a, a genuine problem. Yeah, but if you built a, a sub two hundred horsepower car, it would stay together for the year without yeah. without any you know limit the revs basically. Because yeah. it's, it's, you know, some of them, some of them they will rev through to eight five, which really, for, yeah, wow. you know, I mean, it's it's a big ask of a little old fifty yeah. year old <laughs> engine to be doing that lap after lap, you know. Yeah, and I guess I guess for some of the teams, they're selling, uh, you, you know, you're building cars for people, and if your car is at the front consistently, you're probably going to sell more cars because people will be like, well, if I buy it from you, it's going to be at the front. And if you have a team of people building these cars all day long, to, to have your one car that you are pushing to come back and get stripped and checked and all that sort of stuff, it's not a. It's part of the the business model. But yeah. for most people who are just a gentleman driver or two mates or whatever doing doing this, you don't want. You just don't really want that. No. Like, I've done a bunch of single make stuff, whether occasionally I race in a radical. But recently I've been doing a lot of Citroen C1 racing. And, mm-hmm. and those cars are, the engines get dynoed, they get sealed, you can't do anything to them. They're, they're all pretty much the same. And then at Spa this year, the team that won had basically just broken all the rules. Right. And you get to the end and they got disqualified because their engine had another 20 horsepower. And like, it probably wasn't that much, but like all of the factors, you'd be going down the straight and they would just be, you'd catch up on them and then they would just pull away yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And then you're like, why? Why are you doing this? If you're, there's, it's not Formula One. You're not winning some massive prize at the yeah, end. And who are you kidding? And when everyone finds out, you'd go from like, oh, there's that guy, you know, Tony or whatever, mm. to that asshole, Tony, mm. who's cheated. 
Yeah. Like to win something that doesn't matter. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying people are cheating in the TV. No. uh, And we've, you know, we've been asked to give a bit of feedback and and it's because of my one make experience. I think the nearer you can bring the cars together, the better racing you're going to have. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been some very close racing at the front and there's been some close racing in the middle and there's been some close racing at the back, but you know, a circuit like spa over the lap, you know, that can be sort of, 15 seconds apart you yeah know? it's it, it's you sh- if you could bring it all a bit more together yeah, yeah if you were so somebody at the front had a little something. bit of bad luck say they you know went off or whatever and they're back on them i know it's unlikely but somebody a bit further back can have a have a yeah. bit of a go with it i mean catering racing and if you've done it with radicals i suspect it's the same catering racing is frenetic and if you you know i've raced road sports and um r400s and things and it's just frenetic. It's absolutely brilliant. But it's brilliant because the race, you know, they're, they're like flying bricks and yeah. you're relying on the draft or, you know, break it. And if you're leading the race on the last lap, you're probably not going to win it. Yeah. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's so, you know, the strategy and the, it's, it's fantastic. And the 911s responds to that a little bit as well. I mean, if you are close enough to somebody, you can draft up and, yeah. and pull yourself alongside or past or whatever. So they do respond to that. So if you could just bring them all a bit closer together... So one missed gear change took you back on the bumper yeah. again, and you you would that I, for me personally anyway that would it's really, so much more fun. Yeah, that would really enhance it. So I've I've kind of put my views, to, yeah. but but you know everybody's got an opinion, and that's only my opinion. Yeah, uh, not you know, and other yeah. people have their opinion about it'll, it. It'll get worked out because I, I know with um, like with my radical at the moment, I'm. I've, I've literally just changed the engine or the, the spec of the engine, but they updated it two years ago and the car's got a little bit quicker mm. and I hadn't done many hours on my engine. So I was like, I'm not going to do it, but I sort of wish I'd done it straight away because every time I've raced since in the back of my mind is a little like, I know they've got another five horsepower or something mm. or, you know, a bit more 20 foot pound more torque or something yeah, yeah. so that if someone's faster than, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And there are time, there's people that are, loads of people that are faster than me, mm. but there are people that are slower than me. And I don't like the fact that I can be driving better. It's not even necessarily that I'm driving better or faster than someone, in the back of my mind, I know that their car might be faster and that yeah. might be why they're getting away. Mm. And I hated having that in my head as an excuse. Mm. Like the idea that it's not your driving and you have this excuse to then come back and be like, you know, well, if I had another 20 horsepower. Well, that, that is the other thing, isn't it? I mean, if you're all the same, there's nowhere to hide. 
Yeah. You've just got a lack of talent if you didn't yeah, Exactly, do it. <laughs> and you have to own up to that pretty yeah, quickly. you know, and I'm, I'm very real about, my, you know, my driving ability and, you know, I'm, I'm OK behind the wheel, but it's quicker people than me. Hmm. But, you know, if, if we all had exactly the same car, it would make it a lot more... You know, and to, to be fair, it's been it's, it's been some great racing through the grid, but it's just, it just gets very quickly spaced out, which yeah. it potentially, you know, a catering grid like that would still be bunched up half an hour later. Right, yeah, even, nose though, to tail. even though the top ten are way faster than everyone else or whatever, it, they're, yeah. they're only a second a lap yeah, or whatever. The, you it's know, not. it wouldn't <laughs> take much to be back with them again. You know, you could let your car tires cool. Say your tires have gone off, for example. Yeah, if you've overdriven, you could just cool off for a couple of laps. You know, let it all calm down again, and you could be back having another go. Yeah, you know that was that's it's when you that's something I love about go karting. For example, mm. like I'm not I'm not particularly good at go karting, but I give it a go every now and then. And you can spin, and then you can catch up with people and have another race. Whereas in some series, you know, if you're not flat out on it, this is also when you've got pro drivers who are just yeah. so quick. From they're not necessarily outright lap speed faster, but they're faster from the word they're go. just consistent. Like the first five laps, they're mm. on it, and you know everyone else. And you're never, you know, to be fair, you're never going to compete with those guys unless you're no. super talented. And you know, there's, there's guys in that championship that are in a seat every day of the week doing yeah. something. So it's just another car to drive, you know, and that's their thing. And you, you short of super talent, you're not going to be there, you know. Yeah, I don't time. think most of us really expect to be there either. You know, that's we just want to go out and have some fun. But they're cool little cars to drive, is, is a summary. How, did, how would you describe the way they, like a well-set-up two-litre car handles compared to... Lighter than the, the later cars. Steering's, I mean, because of that weight in the rear, it actually just makes the steering more delicate. It, okay. It's, yeah, it's really bad. So you really do balance it on the throttle much more than the later cars. Hmm. And, you, yeah, steering input's actually quite low in comparison. Yeah. It's funny, uh, when I, I remember the first time I watched, who was it, Ollie, Ollie Bryant? Yeah, Ollie's quick um, one, yeah. It was one of his, uh, it was like a pole lap or something. And you just watch it and you're like, hmm, that doesn't, it's, that's when you know something's really quick. You're like, hmm, it doesn't look that fast. Like yeah. there's no like erratic steering or anything. No. Or you can watch, I, I can't remember when it was, a while ago. There's, there's some, a guy doing a lap around Spa and it, it wasn't in the two-litre cup or something, but it's in... in oh, that Pascal Pandelon. Yeah, yeah, just okay. like fully lit the well, entire well, time. Pascal is a uh, yeah, flamboyant racer, we're calling it. He is quick, though. He is quick. Oh, definitely quick. And uh, a spa meister. I mean, that is his home circuit. and But genuinely quick as well. So, But that just shows how far you can take one and still be in the game. Yeah. So Pascal would be at the, the sharp end of the grid as well? Yeah, yeah. Ollie. Yeah, Ollie's a professional driver. So, yeah, I mean, being that, and then he probably jumps in a GT40 or something and then jumps in something else. And yeah. So that's, you know, he's a, he's a, a professional driver. So, you know, he, he will be quick consistently. Hmm. Yeah. Have, you, have you driven any other cars that would race at that event? No, any of the, not... Any of the quicker Porsches or anything? No, I mean, it'd be nice to, but no. You yeah, haven't yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. But, you know, it's... Some of the RS, yeah, three litre RS would be quite. Three litre RSR, look. Yeah. I when I first went, I, I've always had the thing for two point eight RSR. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like a, you know, it looks, it fits well on the road mm. as well as on the track. And then the more time I've spent at the track, at the, these events, you just get drawn into the bigger, wider stuff, and you think, oh, three litre 
But then part of me goes, as soon as you then go up to, you know, whatever, like nine, three fives and stuff, they don't, from my viewpoint as a photographer on the side of the track or whatever, they don't look like they're that lively in terms of driving style because they just look like they've got so much grip. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've driven high-powered turbo race-derived cars, mm. uh, 911s, and it is very much... The power is when you get going down the street. Yeah. I mean, the cornering speeds aren't necessarily massively greater. Yeah. And... You know, you, it's a bit of a. It does become a bit of a point and squirt machine, whereas the two liter going completely back the other way and that less is more thing, you've got to carry the speed. So, it's a, and cri- entry points are critical. Everything's critical just to keep yeah. the thing rolling, and that's the enjoyment. I think you, you're just carrying the speed, but that's the same all the way through the normally aspirated cars and even up to the RSR. I mean, I know they've got bigger wheels and bigger bigger everything, yeah. but you've still got to carry that speed to to keep to it keep all going. It going yeah. yeah. And they move around. I mean, I like cars that move around. So well, moving around is more fun. Yeah, that's my you know uh, things that just stick like that. You know, and the next stage is where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like progressive oversteer. Yeah, uh, progressively moving cars. So a nicely balanced car is important. And you know, with the nine levels, you can set them up to be quite pointy on the road. I ultimately, I think that makes quite a nervous car on the edge. So we yeah. uh, we tend to not do that with our road cars mm. they, they have a, you know, they'll turn in but not you know you could make like, that turn in sharper for example yeah like a little bit of understeer but like yeah, not, just, not like because then you can go in on a trailing throttle with it yeah. and you can push through it and have the whole thing working with you then whereas if you've got that bite and it might just upset the rear yeah um, that was something when yeah, it was like first sort of country blast in my car and going down a bumpy little road actually having that little bit of understeer or like a bit of understeer if you're sort of on it just allow, just gives you a bit of like breather space mm. that you're not going to suddenly like oh, 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 oh. but you can you can temper that with your right foot exactly so you you can arrive you know you race so you you can arrive on the brakes you can turn in and you can you can have the rear moving and back on it so you can yeah. literally switch it in the middle and back on and and that's that's a trait of the 911 but once you've mastered that they i mean people who say they don't handle well I don't think they <laughs> truly understand what they're about. And I appreciate you have to learn how to drive yeah. them. And, you know, you, I said earlier about me spinning my car over every race circuit <laughs> I went to. I just clearly, you know, I'd driven Ginettas and yeah. Lotus and things and they handle so differently. And, yeah, you've got to master the car. Yeah. That's the, but then I think that's part of the enjoyment. That's part of the fun. Yeah. I, I do think you get in a car, and it's definitely why I get, keep getting drawn to 911s and stuff, is when you see someone drive whether it's an old one or a new one, the new ones are getting less so, but like on the limit, pushing it, that requires a lot of skill like, to drive it properly. Yeah. And I have, like with my RS, we was on a bit of a road trip and a friend had the same car and I was like sliding a little bit and just like a little bit on the exit of corners and stuff. And he was like, my car's just stuck, like just stuck the entire time. And it was just like, well... Yes, but you basically, that means you need to upset it in the corner, before the corner, yeah. all, over, all this other stuff. Whereas if you just have a mid-engine car with a decent amount of horsepower, let's say like a 458 or something, you can put your foot down anytime mm. and you can get that drifty feeling. Yeah. But winding back, when I first took my back date on the track, 
you know, in, in my head, I've got these images of heroic slides out of all the corners. And you realize that, okay, there's a lot I need to learn about driving this car to make it exit a corner like that. Because otherwise, there's, it's got so much grip mm. and not tons of power that to unstick it requires a lot of Oh, you driving. need to be pushing it. You need to push it into that situation invariably. And, and, and learn how to... I, throughout the day, I got better at trailing it in and, bra- and you know, starting to get it breaking on the mm. way in and then you can larry on the way out. But it was, it was a really you fun very, learning experience. <clears throat> no, you very much use the rear of the car to, to, to steer it. I mean, it's, it's quite an alien experience to start with. But once you've got used to it, mastered it, whatever... It's fantastic because there's really not much of an excuse for not going around the corner. You can, you can just adjust it. Yeah. You know, if the line's <laughs> tightening up, you can just adjust it. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good fun. If you had a, if you had to take any car for like a, a little country drive, half an hour, what sort of what would, what would it be? If it was a nine eleven, okay. what would it be? So the Achilles heel of the two liter short wheelbase 911 FIA cars is, is the carburetors mm. and, and the cams. So there's quite a flat spot within that and that they need to be milked the whole time to, to get the most out of them. So if I could take off that and put on modern fuel injection and drivability and that's it, it's mega. It will be mega. Yeah. yeah. So an old, a sort of old short wheelbase, lightweight, Skinny tyres. Yeah. But just a, with a bit more t- drivability. Just so you don't... I mean, you have to drive around the, the, the traits of the car. Hmm. Um, it's just what they are. But if you didn't have to do that, and you, you could have that continuous power delivery, smoothness, reliability, but with the actual handling and feel and drama of 2-litre, give me that over an RS any day. Nice. Seriously. Nice. Yeah. You, you hear that? I, I've heard that a few times from yeah. people... Um, I think uh, Richard Tuttle is... Okay, yeah, Richard. I remember yeah, him saying a similar sort of thing. He was like, no, lose the arches, lose all the grip. Yeah. Less, be, more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have, yeah. You ever, have you ever taken a car or been on the snow, on ice? Not been on uh, any ice driving, mm. no, not. I mean, yes, I've been on the snow. Yes, I've been on the loose. I, I mean, I did a lot of autocross at local level when I was mm. growing up, so... Spent a lot of time sideways when I was younger. But professionally, no. Uh, in a professional environment, no. And it's quite interesting, you, you know, some of the guys, again, going back to that, that series, you find out they've been off having a bit of winter yeah. training and they've been in simulators. I mean, I, I rang, rang up one chat one day uh, and the secretary said, oh, no, he's not here today, he's up at Silverstone. I mean, <laughs> simulator. A bit of sim time, yeah. Yeah, for a two-litre Porsche race. I think, well, it's all getting a bit serious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot cheaper to repair it in a sim. Than, uh... Well, yeah, maybe it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it kind of takes, I don't know, I've, I get it, but I also think, wouldn't it be better if you just took some of this technology away from you again and this... You know, wouldn't it be better if you just arrived at the circuit and you haven't been to the circuit before, you've had minimal seat time, you've just got to work it out. Yeah. You know, and it's down to you, the driver, you're on all on the same tyres, same brake, same power, same weight, same everything, it's just you. But you say that, but it's never just that, because let's say you're, you know, you're removing these extra hours, there's going to be people that have might have raced there five times before. 
Yeah, okay, so you're going to have that. Um, so you're just narrowing try- the gap to that. I'm, I'm just trying to think of the situation where you bring the gap, because it just makes better racing at the end of the day. The closer you can bring everybody together. Yeah, definitely. In, in any championship, not just this one. The better the racing, yeah. the better the spectacle, the better, you know. I mean, if they're going around bumper to bumper, door handle to door handle, I mean, you only need to go to Goodwood and watch some of the racing there, mm. you know. They do, you know, some cracking Gets close, racing. Yeah. yeah, that's what you actually want. Yeah, you know, when, when you're you, just three or four of you having a go and it's, right, OK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you see some of the onboarder, you know, you, yeah. you're going around a corner and you're on the edge, yeah. but you're on the inside and yeah. you're like, I've got about three inches, yeah. two inches between my car and theirs. Yeah, and, and if and I stuff it, this is going to be bad. But I didn't, and yeah. we're good. <laughs> so for me, that that is any form of racing, but particularly classic. I mean, if you could race pretty closely and, you know, safely and... Uh, and, yeah, um, bigger entertainment value all the way around. I think. Yeah, I had um, I had a, I asked my audience, people, whatever, Instagram followers, if if they had any questions for you because I was coming on today, and had a few. Do you think it's sacrilegious that nine six fours get ripped apart to make builds, or in your case, three point two Carreras? Okay. Um, yes. In in short, so when we. When we launched our 964 idea back in well, that's 2005, there were a lot more cars about, and a, a donor car was 7 or 8K, mm. and the best one in the world was 20K. But the problem with the 964 was, it, you know, they had oil leaks and they had all the problems, and, and people with a 7 to 10 grand 911 just wouldn't spend the money because yeah. when, they, when they've got that to spend on a car, they haven't got another 10 to spend on it. So they tended to be poorly maintained and, and needing work and money. So at that time, I didn't see a problem in messing about with scruffy 964s yeah. because you couldn't make it into a nice one for 20 grand. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. today, I mean, we don't cut up what I call nice cars. We just don't do it. If it's a nice, really nice, genuine car, no, wouldn't do it. Three twos, you know, they generally, generally I can show you some outside. We'll start with rotten, mm. nasty yeah, I saw one outside. There was definitely a few holes in it. Yeah, and you know, if you took a a rotten one and you were trying to make it into a nice one, financially it's just not viable. Yeah, uh, it costs so much money to to just Buy get nice rid one. of all of that properly. So uh, you know, no, we don't carve up nice examples. Wouldn't do it. If I don't think it can be saved and turned into a genuine car, that that's the car I would use. Yeah, that makes that's that makes total yeah, so sense. That's my answer. Not ideal, is it? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're a fan of a three two or a nine six four, but um, you wouldn't cut cut up a good example to make one. You, no, you start with something that's kind of useless apart from what you want to use it for. Yeah, and I've I've genuinely turned cars away where people have said, "Can you convert this?" No, fair enough. Won't do it. Someone said, "Do you have any Le Mans Classic build slots left?" No, no, sold out. Sorry, guys. You could come and you could come and get. Presumably, you could get one of the other ones. No problem. Yes, uh, I can't build one straight away, but yeah, yeah we. Can... What's your lead time on if someone wants to come and get a? Well, we've got that program to get out of the way, plus some other stuff. So really, we're not in a position to build anything till twenty one. Okay, so a bit of time. Yeah, I mean, if somebody was genuinely interested in a the car, they need to come and talk to us, and 
we you know we're working into a program mm. but yeah it's you couldn't just come and have one now yeah in six months or whatever no. you're, you're pretty unless somebody pretty busy. decides they don't want to go ahead with a build slot or something because they can't you know maybe that will happen it's happened on one car already i can tell you so yeah. we replaced it with you know somebody else has taken that slot so there is that could happen there is scope Potentially that could happen, but other than that, no. But yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty busy and pretty full up. Do you have a favourite 911 generation? Yes. Um, what is it? If you'd have asked me... What car? Ten years ago, it wouldn't be this car, but it is the two-litre. Oh, really? Yeah, it takes me back to... It's where it started. It's the purest, purest experience of, of the car, of mm. the air-cooled era. And if you go back to any sort of general design... You, Whatever it is, if you actually analyse it, usually the first one is the best. Yeah. And you modify it because people didn't find it comfortable, people didn't find it fast enough, people didn't find it big enough. Whatever they yeah. do, think of Aston Martin, you know, DB4, DB5, it went into the six, didn't it, because yeah. it wasn't big. Anything you... Just to analyse it, generally speaking, the first design is the purest. The most, like, distilled yeah. version. Um, and it might come with traits but we're not talking about an everyday car, are we? Hmm. No, it's just, yeah, yeah. whichever one. And, and has that been specifically since you've started racing it again? Yeah, I think so. Understanding the, that, that era of the car, not, you know, I mean, the, the, the lace cars are much easier to drive. Hmm. That's part of the fun. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> are there any tracks that you go to that you, you sort of think, mm, this has got a bit too many straights? Do, um, do they feel particularly slow yeah, anywhere or not too it's, bad? It's funny... Uh, I mean, you know, people. Uh, I've, I feel privileged that I've raced at Le Mans, really. When it's, it's sort of like a boy's dream, cool. and we've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to live, relive it, and I, an awful lot of other people haven't. Some people take it for granted. I certainly didn't. There's some long straights there for the two litre car. <laughs> uh, uh, Recar the other day, you know, it's pretty. Some long straights there. It, uh, look. The, the optimum for your straight is when your car's reaching maximum RPM yeah. in, in, in top gear, isn't it? So there aren't many circuits, if you actually think about that statement, where you achieve that. Le Mans no, is one of them. Really, yeah. So you either gear your car to be great around the rest of the circuit and then you're just hanging on for dear life going down the back yeah. or you gear it to go down the back straight and then it's, it's a bit compromised... It, that's the one circuit I think yeah. I can think of where you, you make a you make a decision about where you're going to gear your car, a yeah. small engine car, anyway. A Ricard, did they have the chicane for the two liters? They did. Yeah. Uh, for the um, group season, no, they let them go. And what um, what sort of speeds are you doing? Well, at we, the end were, of that? we were just just about getting to. They're not fast those two liter cars. You know, about 140 yeah. miles, about, about your lot. Um, but yeah, obviously the group sees the bang yeah, straight yeah, down. Hammering down. Funny enough, I went there racing Caterhams years ago because I did some endurance racing in Caterhams in Europe, and they used to let us. Yeah, we we went all the way down. So you know, in a Caterham, that's a toe. Yeah, yeah. it's not one toe. It's like you're <laughs> it's two, two or three going down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, by the time we get to the end, who was going in first? Yeah. So yeah, I, your, your optimum straight for me is it's just when you've reached the max. Yeah. Um, and it's quite funny because I guess at the end of that straight. It's probably not much of a break no. for that corner because no. it's just a big sweeping. Oh, at the recar. At recar, no. yeah. No, 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 no. That's. I mean, even in those little cars, it's just really a, a lift and a turn and in. Yeah. Just maybe a dab on the brakes. It depends what's what. You know. What's going on? Yeah. 
Um, and the final one from, from people. What sort of weight reduction are you able to do? Do you do a lot of weight? We were sort of talking about this earlier, actually. Yeah. Um, well, clearly, the more you take out, the lighter it gets. But I'll, I'll, you, you get to a point in the road where you say, well, I need a heater. Yeah. I need, I need yeah. some windows. Yeah. Uh, so you start to add bits in. But if you took, obviously, the, the lightest car, the, the, the lightest car you could build, is, it probably starts with a short wheelbase. Yeah. You could get that down to a notional 800 mm. with... You know, 7900 Bizarrely, it wouldn't be FIA compliant. Yeah. They, they, they homologate them at 1002 So we actually, they're quite heavy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that'd be about as light as I think you'd get one down mm. to. But with your, with your road cars? Right, so it's a fight to get one down to 970 where you've got it habitable. Yeah. In a bigger car. Um, so we've got a longer wheelbase for starting. Mm. I mean, I know dimensionally it's the same, but your bigger footprint, yeah. so you're on bigger wheels and bigger brakes, all those things I was saying, but we've got bigger power, haven't we? We've got another mm. 100 horsepower to play with, so we need... But manual windows to reduce the weight, no central locking, no sunroof, thinner glass, all, you just go through it and you just... Yeah. Luggage area, how can you save weight in there? You know, the one you've driven today has a full luggage installation system didn't yeah. it you know and tools that all back you know i mean it adds weight so get rid of that aluminium panels all, all those things just reduce weight yeah and um, your cars are all the panels are you they're like are they original different cars have different stuff right 100 the classic touring is original are they original 70s panels yeah so <clears throat> that car features all original porsche panels <clears throat> and it's not and a full interior system, and and frankly, that's probably not any. I've never actually weighed one, but it's probably not any lighter than a, an original car. Pretty standard, yeah. It's got to be about the same, isn't it? Club sports, we can get down. You know, we do put those on a bit of a diet, and, mm. and as you know, we can get those down to, to nine seventy dry, which is is a bit of a fight, but we can get it there. Mm. So we're we're fitting, you know, you know, it's an RS in period had a steel bonnet. We get a bit from an aluminium bonnet. Um, our ducktails are very slightly lighter. Putting in the, the, the thinner glass, and I know the genuine lightweights had kind of well, you know, like mm. thin glass, nine, 960 kilograms. But we, we just do just chip away at it. Little bits. Yeah. Here and there. Yeah. No, it's um, a pretty cool thing. Our dashboards are lighter. Oh. Than the originals. Yeah. Our door panels are lighter. You know, the door top. Yeah. All, all of those are lighter. Because I imagine most stuff, if you're redesigning it sort of from scratch or making it new now you can make it lighter yeah you've just got lighter better materials and everything yeah there's 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 weight to be we do save weight there right i normally wrap up these podcasts with five questions okay so uh here we go here we go <laughs> do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey the stand up um probably Racing at Alton Park, having a podium finish in my 911 and thinking, I've still got time to jump in the car and drive to Le Mans. Because it, <laughs> it was a bit of a debate whether we could do... And uh, so I got, it was just, are we going to do it? Aren't we going to do it? We're doing it. We're doing it. So we just bowled into... And believe it or not, that was in a... Uh, it wasn't a genuine 73 RS. Yeah. Left drive one, Swiss nice. one. And we bowled down there, and we got down there. I, I can't remember now, Sam. It's early hours of the morning. Yeah, mates were down there all drinking. 
So, yeah, that was probably it. That's quite fun. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Doing up podium and then smashing yeah. down to France. Yeah. Right, next question. Five-car garage. <sighs> Unlimited value. Oh, dear. That's hard. <laughs> um, that is hard. I am all about this driving experience. This less is more driving experience. That, that's it for me. So big, modern, powerful... They don't do it. Do it, do it for your cars. Don't do it for me. Mm-hmm. So I've got to start with... Most of my cars are going to be... I've got to have a two-litre, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, an FIA car. I've probably got to have a club sport because we built the bloody thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know why we built it and I know what it stands for and it's a great road car. I quite like the 1970 22S. Right. With a 901 box and the S engine. I, I quite like that. Mm. If I'm going water-cooled, I've probably got to have a 996 GT3 first off, or possibly an RS, yeah. possibly an RS, but certainly an analogue. The, the, the further up you go, and they, they, yeah. of course they got quicker, but actually it's still, I feel you can get, get into that yeah. car. And I guess you've got to have a career of GT, cause why, because why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever driven one? Once. Um, I know uh, some people have got a bit, but there, yeah, it's a, Bit of, it's a bit of a weapon, really. Yeah, it's, it's on my... I've spoken to a lot of people that have a, a serious, serious car collections mm. and have driven a lot of stuff, and all of them have Crow GT in, like, top five all time. They're just like, it's mega. And I, I haven't, haven't it's been, very been able to drive one yet. It's just very different to anything they've ever done and, and can, can probably do in the future, frankly. It yeah, is, end it of is an another analogue feel. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Right, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed like a £500 banger to family or whatever, what would it be? Well, I think the 911 does tick an awful lot of boxes. Yeah. So, but it would have to be, um, it would have to be air-cooled. It would have to be 250, 260 horsepower. It needs to have that power to grip to weight ratio. Right, So, Balance. So it doesn't need to be a particularly valuable one. But something I can get in in the morning, turn the key, it always starts, performs reliably, and just gives you that smile when you go to work in the morning because you've had a bit of a yeah. go with it. That's, that's the car. And where does that sit? That probably sits in a slightly modded car. It probably isn't so far away from what you've got, to be yeah. fair, is it? Something like that. Yeah. It ticks so many boxes if you're a driver. And yet it's, it, they're practical enough. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's not a Volvo estate, is it? But it's you can get a lot of you stuff. You get a though. lot of stuff in them, um, you know, with our club sports, we, you know, with our luggage system and stuff. You amaze what you can get in those cars. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and I've driven all sorts of things over the years, but I always get out of other cars thinking, hmm, okay, so that was quicker in a straight line. That sounded awesome. That's really nimble. But there's always a but. Yeah. The nine eleven for me just. It's, it just does so much. It does. It does so much. So, you know, you, 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 a Lotus is clearly going to be more agile, or a Genet, or anything like that. They're all more agile. Yeah. And a Ferrari's just got, you know, more presence, and, and, and you know, it's just some awesome cars, and you've got one as well, and there's some truly awesome. But actually, if you just think, well, am I going to drive that? Am I yeah. just going to jump in that car? There you go. Are you going to just jump in that car and drive it wherever? Yeah. Could you just go and park it in the car park Without Wait, stressing out. <laughs> you couldn't, could you? No. What you want is a slightly beaten up 911 that you can just park up and somebody's yeah. put a dent in the door and you think, oh no, whatever. 
and then drive off in it again and yeah. then have a blast. And it's not a carbon panel that you've just smashed or whatever. You know, and you, you're giving it a good pasting and you're not worried about, am I about to, mm. in, in, you know, get an engine rebuild on my hands or whatever, or clutch come out. <laughs> you know, you just, that's it, isn't it? That's what they're all about. They're durable. They're just, yeah. They are just really good. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, you know, it all goes back to why did you start this business? Why did I start? It's just a passion thing, really. And it was just purely by driving them. And it sort of took me into a, a whole world of where I am now, really. What's the most undervalued car you can think of at the moment? You know, either like cracking value or it should be worth more. Um, are we talking Porsche? Anything. Um, I'll generalise that by saying when a, when a super, so think about Audi R8s for a minute mm-hmm. think about AMV8s think about slightly unfashionable 911s just when yeah. they've just when they're unfashionable that's the time to look yeah because they're actually still great cars aren't they yeah you know I mean you think if you look hard enough you can pick up an R8 for 30 grand yeah which is think about that crazy manual you know all that drama going on in the back yeah. and phenomenal engine that's great gearbox that's, quite a car isn't it for that yeah you know and we've we've had 911s down there and you just suddenly look at them and think why yeah (laughs) why and so it's that it's that genre of car when it gets to a point in the road we just think that is so ridiculously cheap yeah for what it is you there so it isn't just one car i don't think it's it's just a category of yeah you'll sort of you'll know when you'll wake up one morning and you open up the mag or go on the internet or whatever and you think that looks and, and it always happens. Yeah. It always happens. Yeah, they always hit the bottom. And it's... All cars do it. I mean, can you... McLaren, do you know where they're going? Yeah. There's going to be a point where you think, I've just got to have one. Cause There's so- going to be a point when, like, a 12C or something. Now, that's a very expensive ownership proposition. But it's going to get down to, like, 40 grand it or is. something. And, like, and you suddenly think, <laughs> really? Yeah, you this know. is a spaceship. Am I not going to buy that car? Because it's, you know, it's still a supercar at the end yeah. of the day, isn't it? So that is the type of car I'm talking about. When you just look at it, that's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. There's certain cars that I, I look at and I'm watching. Um, F12 is one of them. Mm. Like they are going down and down and down. And at, at some point in time, they're going to go under 100. It's, yeah. It's going to no, happen. No, no, they will do. And yeah. then you go, it's a V12, pretty modern Pretty yeah. reliable Ferrari. Mm. You're like, well, but like you said, you know, like an R8 for 30. Like, what? There was a spaceship when it came out. It's like a game-changing car when it yeah. came out. I made a mistake because I had a 996 RS when it was new. Did what everybody else did, drove for six yeah. months and sold it. And then I said, I'll dip back in again when they get below 50k. And I bought a white one with blue decals for a yeah. reasonable m- number. I won't say what it was. And that was going to be a keeper. And then it sat there and somebody came along one day and said, look, I've really been looking for a white with yeah. Will you sell it? Blah, blah, blah. I want to pay this for it. Well, unfortunately, being a dealer, you sort of think, yeah. okay, I'll find another one, yeah. which I never did. <laughs> but think about that. This was a 40-something grand yeah. 996 RS. Yeah. Should have kept that. Should have kept that. I... I had a similar sort of thing. I didn't know at the time that it was going to be the bottom, but when I bought my 997 RS, that was the bottom. I mm. bought it at the bottom, but I, at the time it was it was expensive. 
Yeah. And they then doubled over like yeah. two years. You yeah. know, like, and, and now we're, we're down a little bit, but like, I'm up in that car. And it's, it's one of those ones where I sort of feel like I should get rid of it because I don't use it that much, but I love it as a car. Mm. It's a great and car. It, it's, that value's never really going to go down now, I don't think. No. And I think the way to look at it is with that type of car, and I'm saying this to anybody, you know, and whatever you paid for it, that's actually what it's worth to you, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and what do you buy for that? Well, that's whatever, it. Whatever that number was. And that is, you know, it's probably a phenomenal car for that money. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. When I, some people come talk about now, like, oh, I was thinking about, you know, like the new box Spider or a GT4 or something. And a GT4 is 80 grand, 75, 80 grand, something like that. I paid 92 or something for my so, RS. And I'm like, okay, hang on a minute. Like at no point in time should I ever sell that RS and buy a car, a GT4, for example, because no. it's just a completely different category yeah, of car. Yeah. You've still got a 3.8 RS, haven't you? Yeah. And all said and done. And, and own you a sub 100 grand. So you've got a car that, oh, yeah, why would you sell it? And, and, I mean, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's probably a bit of a stretch to wind one of those up on the road, but it's a 100%. Fa- fantastic circuit car. It's just, it is actually just about on the edge. Mm. Like, okay, you can't push it too much on the road, no. but it's still in, involving. As soon as you, you go to 991 generation, like, they're just not. They're too good. Yeah, yeah. Great on track, but too good. Yeah, and I think that's it. Whatever you're driving, I mean, you you want to be able to get to the edge. Well, I do anyway. I want yeah. to be able to get to the edge of the car's ability, and I suppose that's why I prefer older cars. Yeah. Because I know, you know, if you're trying to get the edge of a current car, you are driving it insanely fast, and well, you're not going to be doing that on the road if you've got yeah. any sense. The so, forces have to be so high. So then you have to go to a circuit, and then you have to be driving it that much faster and then you know we've taken old air-cooled 911s and along with modern ones with you know with colleagues and uh, or customers should i say and you know we all got out at the end of the day and said the old stuff's really you know yeah. you're having loads more fun fun is what you want isn't it it was fun and once you get you get over that thing of speed yeah and speed is fun for a week and then then it becomes a corner thing and actually, like, I've done a bit of racing in, yeah, like the C1s, or I've done a bit of MX-5 and stuff like that. And people go, yeah, because they're not really slow. You're like, well, yeah, they're slow, but you're trying to get the toe down the straight. And, like, with the C1 stuff, there's, like, 150 cars on track. Like, yeah. You're battling people the entire time. Yeah. It doesn't feel slow when you're sliding all four wheels no. round pool on at 110 or whatever. That's, no. It's not slow. No, exactly. Um, and, you know, I was in a 720s the other day or say the other day a couple of months ago at mm. goodwood you go round and suddenly you're doing 155 miles an hour just imagine it, and then and then you go and forward and then you're down to the back 175 miles an hour what? and it's ridiculous and then it just breaks and you go around the corner and then <laughs> off you go again you know? yeah how, you know how much and you set your drift control and yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. okay and it was insanely fast, to be honest. It was the car was incredible, but you needed to. The next step for me, I got out of it, and it was clearly wasn't my car; it was customer's car. But I got out of it and thinking, the next step. Do you want to find out what the next step is on yeah. Goodwood? No, no, and not when you're pushing the braking and you're doing a hundred, maybe eighty. Yeah, it's one hundred and fifty-five round round the first part, <laughs> and one hundred and seventy-five down the back straight. It was just nuts. 
Yeah. And the forces, like, you just don't want to, you don't want to, Goodwood is a sketchy circuit mm. at the best of times. And you get in these fast things. I've always, I don't know how they do it. Like, I've, I've had a few different coaches and some of them do like the pure McLaren days. Yeah. And they might get in with someone who's just bought a 720S or a P1 GTR or something ludicrously fast at Spa. And they just sit there in the passenger seat and they go around coaching this person who may, they may, this may be their first rear wheel drive car. Mm. And you're, they're still going to be doing 170, whatever, down the straight. But you've only got a seatbelt and an airbag if Mm. something goes wrong. I mean, the car, the car was immensely capable. And, you know, I've I've raced with somebody who does a lot of test driving with McLaren and, you you know, he's a great, great driver and takes them over and beyond Mm. regularly. And uh, so you, you can do it, but you need, you know, I think you yeah, need, brave. <laughs> need to go and take that initially anyway, in a very open space yeah. to find where that is. Cause I wasn't ready to take that over that edge round there at that speed. Yeah. Without and I think oh, I had one story, this guy, he was, he was passengering, you know, instructing someone and the ABS sensor, I don't, there was like a, some sort of sensor and a bit of rubber, like pickup went over the sensor and killed it. And it killed the ABS on the car. And, or maybe it killed the traction control. Something like that. Right, okay. And just like halfway around the corner, the guy just mashed his foot or whatever. The car steps out. It doesn't save him this time around. And the instructor's like, no, as he sees this guy correct, like the wrong way or something. She's like, dives across the car, like pushes the steering wheel, like, go that way and wow. managed to avoid ending up in a wall but you're going quite fast in some of those yeah, cars that's, that's well that's the problem isn't it I mean you're, you're not doing this side of 100 miles an hour you yeah. can be approaching 200 miles an hour yeah a bit I had, scary I had an interesting talk with someone it was actually it was at Ricard and they used to race LMP2 a gentleman driver mm-hmm. and he, he stopped because he's like the cars they were really fast but they started to get really, really, really fast. And if you're a gentleman driver and you're not a professional driver, you can be at a very high level, but there's a certain point in time where you're going to make, you know, people make mistakes. Yeah. And the difference of hitting a wall at like 190 versus 140 or something is like significant. And you've got to be very fit to withstand all of that. that G-force and... Racing at night and whatever, all yeah. that stuff. It's crazy. All right, final, final question. What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? Like you find yourself like Googling or looking up or, or found? <sighs> Crikey. What is that car? That's a, that is an interesting question. I, I suppose I'm always, and it's probably the, 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 the world that I'm in, I'm always looking at the ultimate development of what we're doing, mm. I suppose. So I'm, I'm, again, it's probably a, general air-cooled look what are people doing what what how can we improve what we're doing i'm not as i've got older i used to be really into modern cars yeah when i was younger loved the latest thing i've almost got an anti latest thing at the moment where did that latest thing stop where, where, where what's the time period yeah i think it i think it probably around 2010 12 i don't know i'm trying to think back 
my thing, I, I, I always used to, whatever it was, I had to get in it and drive it as fast as it would go. Yeah. Okay, that was it. Yeah. Whatever it is. Maybe it hasn't changed too much now. So the problem is the cars just go quicker and quicker and quicker. And then they, they, we've had this conversation, but they, they get, unless you're right on the edge of it all, they get less involving. So my thing is always how do we make this ultimate driving experience accessible at relatively sane levels? Yeah. And that's my thing. So I'm always looking at how can I bring that into what we're doing today. I want, I want people to get into our cars and really engage with what we're doing and really get that driving buzz and fix that we all mm. actually want in a, in a cool package. Yeah, so looking at what's going on and how do you how do you progress? Yeah, yeah. It's um, the the more people I think get to experience. It's, I think specifically, really, people that are in the modern car world, mm. they don't get much. Ex- if you're in the classic car world, you get it. Like you get this old car thing and the all of that, and people end up driving pre-war cars and all that sort of thing. But I found with with my car, the back date. I've been on road trips. We did one to Sweden and in the winter and drove around in the snow and did all sorts of stuff. And loads of people turned up in really, really modern supercar type things. And at the beginning, they're like, well, I don't get this. This is, this is awful. Like, why, why would you... Why? First of all, they just didn't understand. Like, why would you bring that car? It's going to be awful. It's going to break down. It didn't break down. It was phenomenal. Mm. It actually had more grip on like winter tires than a lot of these cars had like a modern bmw on studded tires and took them out in a passenger seat when we went around this ice track and stuff and suddenly you get it people are like i get it i get it yeah. like, it's being able to feel exactly what's going on exactly and 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 hear it i mean your car will have a fantastic induction noise yeah, got fantastic e- exhaust noise yeah, a modern one, you've got to push a button to get some of that. <laughs> what? Press a button to get some more pops. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to turn a little knob to get some drift going. What's that all about? <laughs> what is that all about, really? You know, that, and call me old, but that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. I'm, that's probably my age. Yeah. I I've really enjoy my driving still, uh, so it has to be something that you just feel part of the car yeah. and you're actually making a difference. I think that's it you you know as we i think we talked earlier about you know people blasting around in, in the latest supercar and the technology sorting it out for them and they're going very quick because the car allows them to go very quick but it's just flattering their lack of experience mm. we might say so for me to be hanging on i love going to track days for example and i've got a little um lightweight 911 scr we call it because it's very lightweight and it's only about 260 horsepower but i love going to track days in that and hanging on the back of modern stuff. Oh, it's the best feeling yeah. in the world, isn't it? Being yeah. in, like, there's nothing that beats being in what should be a slow car, yeah. or, and most people's eyes like a shitty car, and catching up or overtaking a fast car. Yeah. It's like the best thing ever. You start off at the beginning of the day and there's this funny little black thing's turned up, you know, and there's all these modern <laughs> yeah. cars, and by the end of it, people are looking at it like, and it's oh. just, what is that? What, what engine have you got in there? You've yeah. got 400 horsepower? Yeah. No, mate. And it's not. It's just got, you know, you can carry speed, you've got grip. and Yeah, that, that for me is, is the driving experience. Oh, yeah. well, I think that's a very good point to, to wrap it up on. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. That's okay. Thanks very much for having us. It's been good to have you here. Cheers. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.